0: Hello, it's me, Josh, and this Wednesday, October 2nd, I'm going to be in Austin, Texas to do my live End of the World show. I'm going to be at the North Door, and you can get tickets at ndvenue.com. So come see me, because it's going to be pretty boss. And there's a few tickets left, and they're going very fast. If you want to come see me and Chuck for Stuff You Should Know Live in New Orleans on October 10th, you better go to sysklive.com. You'll get tickets and info there, and you will be very happy that you did. So see you guys in October.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's guest producer Lowell. I didn't say Noel, everybody. I said Lowell. He's a first-timer, and he's here to party. (laughs) Is that why he has the uh, beer bong?
1: Yep. (laughs) Which we didn't even call beer bongs. We just called it funneling beer.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, is that a beer bong? I didn't realize they were one and the same. I think so. It's just,
1: it must be regional.
0: (laughs) Oh, I just thought, like, the crazy college kids had come up with something, some new thing that was a beer bong that was different than a funnel. But Okay.
1: You know, the good old days where you did keg stands and beer bongs and, you know.
0: I think I did one of each of those in my entire college career. I was like, no, these aren't that great. I never did a keg stand. You did, they're really hard. I don't understand them at all. They don't make any sense whatsoever. Well,
1: I think the idea is you're upside down. Right. But you're drinking, you know, the beer is going in the opposite direction as you're standing. Right. Right. I mean, I'm not sure what the effect it's supposed to have. I'm sure if there's a head rush involved. I don't know. I always thought it was dumb.
0: It'd make way more sense <laughs> to do uh, one of these beer bongs and then do a handstand really quick.
1: Yeah. I mean, I funneled a beer or two in my day, but that wasn't really my bag either.
0: Okay. Just drinking like a normal human being.
1: Yeah. yeah you know me as a <clears throat> freshman in college sitting back with my brandy snifter. And
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. your smoking jacket. <laughs> That's right. Slippers. <laughs> Well, obviously, Chuck, since I said smoking jacket and slippers, we're talking today about paraphilias. Which could be the case if
1: the smoking jacket and slippers were the, was the only way that you could achieve erection and completion.
0: What do you mean completion? Like, you know, ejaculation. Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> completion. That's like such a great way to put it, man. It's so like, so crisp and sterile. Is it too late to issue our COA? Uh, yes, it is, but we should anyway <laughs> now that you mention it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I figure since this is about paraphilias, unless you don't know what that is, then you probably don't have your kids listening already. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to be talking a lot about stuff like, you know, ejaculation.
0: Uh, and completion. And completion. Abnormal
1: sexuality. Yeah, which that you might as well. that The can of worms has been opened mm-hmm. because you said the word abnormal.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what paraphilia means, like para, the prefix, means beside, but really in the usage, especially with with psychology, para means like abnormal, not normal, Um, and then philia means love, so it's abnormal love, which is kind of a funny way to put it, but it's a lot better than the way they used to put it, which is like deviance, sodomy. Pervert. Perversion, yeah, so it's actually a huge, massive step forward to call it paraphilia.
1: Yeah, Um, I actually found a couple of quickie definitions that don't even use the word abnormal. Great. That I felt kind of nailed it a little better. One is psychology today says a condition in which a person's sexual arousal and gratification depend on fantasizing about and engaging in in sexual behaviors uh, that are atypical and extreme. Okay. And then the other one says... Uh, you become sexually aroused by an object or activity that most people don't consider sexually stimulating.
0: Okay. yeah, that, that That's one even actually, more interesting. That makes a lot of sense, that second one. My favorite one is not hurting yourself or anybody else. Just go with it. <laughs> that's that's a definition that I can get behind.
1: Right. And that will also bring up the distinction, which we're going to be focusing a lot of this on, mm-hmm. between a, peri- a paraphilia and a paraphilic disorder.
0: Yeah, because the the whole point of studying paraphilias is not to be like, well, look at this weirdo. Let's let's poke him and see what comes out. See what brings him <laughs> to completion. You know, um, it's instead to help people who are are distressed by the fact that they have an atypical. Um, Object or desire of sexual arousal, right? Like that—that they are there. There's some sort of compulsion that they can't um, disregard, and it's causing them distress in their lives, or it's harming their lives in some way. Or, and this one's even more important, that there there are paraphilias that involve other people that are not consenting. Right. That's a big, big problem, too. It's a big enough problem when it's affecting your own life, but when it involves somebody else who does not want to be involved in your paraphilia, then it's a big problem, and the courts frequently become involved.
1: Yeah, so this is mainly an overview, so we're not going to get too much into specific paraphilias, although tell me you didn't have a bunch of ideas for further episodes.
0: Dude, I'm so <laughs> glad you said that. But also, did you hear like a million people just go, oh.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but let's, can I read through some of these real
1: quick though at least? Yeah, let's do that. So common paraphilias, uh, voyeurism is one. I think we all know what that is. Sure, the peeping Tom. Uh, this is listed, which kind of, I, I don't know. I didn't know what was going to be on here. Transvestitism.
0: Yeah, cross-dressing is a better way to put that. Sure, which is, we'll, we'll talk a little more about that one later because it's a good example.
1: Uh, exhibitionism.
0: Yes, which can be just, you know, um, if you like acting in porno films, you could be an exhibitionist and it could be very fulfilling. Or, uh, more frequently from what I understand, you can expose your genitalia in to a, an a unsuspecting <laughs> person. Yeah, in yeah. a parking lot. And the thing that I read about exhibitionism in males, what we commonly call like flashers, mm-hmm. they're not... They don't get gratification from the other person being like, oh, hey, 10 out of 10, you know, or (laughs) let's go, something like that. They get their gratification. This is the whole point of their Uh exhibitionism is from the shock, from the surprise that they elicit from the other person when they suddenly expose their genitalia. Are you surprised by that? Yes, I was actually. Really? Did you think it was like a legit come on? (laughs) <laughs> I guess I always did, now that I think about it. I, it is a little ridiculous, but it never occurred to me that that is what they were going for, was that okay. shock or surprise, which, gotcha. yeah, which makes the whole non-consenting thing even worse, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so,
1: fetishism, and this is interesting, because I think a lot of people think a fetish is just any, you know, atypical sexual desire. Mm-hmm. But a fetish specifically is a non-living object like a, a shoe, like a high heel shoe or something sure that excites you sexually. Whereas if you say, like, oh, I've got a foot fetish, that's actually called partialism.
0: Yes, that's right. And it could, it could be a foot fetish, it could be a breast fetish, it could be a butt fetish, whatever. But it, I think with partialism, it's specifically part of the human body, right? That's right. Okay. But the other stuff, it's like a non-human object, like you said, a shoe or something. Yeah, or uh,
1: you know, oh, I don't know, like a nice candle stand.
0: Or smoking jacket and slippers. <laughs> That's right. A candle stand. Uh, what are they called? A candle stick? candlestick. Candlestick. <laughs> but what you use to murder people? I forgot. <laughs> the candlestick.
1: Uh, there is frauderism. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is when you know the subway creeps rubbing up against you. Right. Non-consenting, obviously.
0: Again, yes, non-consenting.
1: Uh, there is S and M. So sexual sadism and sexual masochism. Mm-hmm. So do you know the difference? I'm sure you do.
0: Sure. Masochism is self-harm, self-abuse, or, or enjoying being abused or humiliated. Masochism is, or sadism is inflicting that on somebody else. Correct. You're doing really well. Thank you. <laughs> we should turn this into an internet quiz. Uh, pedophilia, which everyone knows what that is. Mm-hmm. Terrible. It is terrible, and, and there's, there's a lot more to unpack with that, so much so I think that that one deserves its own episode.
1: Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are the most common. Less common are somnophilia, that is fondling a person who is asleep or unconscious.
0: I would guess that's also unconsenting, too.
1: Uh, Yeah. I wonder a- although if, I imagine you could act that out in a consenting way.
0: I wonder, well, yeah, and I wonder if also that's a, like an introductory level beginner's class for necrophilia, because a, like the lightest form of necrophilia is the other person pretending they're dead.
1: All right. So necrophilia 101? Mm-hmm. That's another
0: one that deserves its own episode.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, And I know which other one you're going to pick, too. Uh, There's Telephone Scatologia.
0: Yes, prank calls, but obscene variety. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman and happiness. Right. Not the pursuit of happiness.
1: Right. Different altogether. Right. Really different. (laughs) Right. Like the opposite of (laughs) each other. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There's Coprophilia. Do you know what what that is?
0: That's um, uh, an obsession with poop, maybe being pooped on. Sure. Just poop in general turns you on.
1: Urophilia, that's obvious, right? PP. And then uh, zoophilia.
0: Yes, man, which is, you might think like, wow, that's, that's gross. The that person is engaging in acts of bestiality. That's the new name for bestiality is zoophilia. But one thing that a lot of people overlook, um, or at least I did until I saw the documentary Zoo, was that it's a? It also involves non-consenting um, partners or sure. other people, but not a, pe- a person. An, an animal. The animal can't consent to that, um, and so there's. It's a basically a form of rape, but it's animal rape.
1: Yeah, I never saw that documentary. I, Man, I know it's been many years. You've been. You've been wearing that T-shirt every day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the I Heart Zoo. Yeah, I watched. I get the weirdest looks. <laughs> I watched Zoo and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. Right. But it's like I want to recommend it, but at the same time, I also want to be like, stay away. You know, like you're, you're going to change in some ways, some of which you might not be fully okay with, you That's know. That's right. So it's, it's a tough one. But as far as documentary filmmaking goes, it's about as close to a masterpiece as there is. All right. I'm sold. Although it did get a lot of flack, Chuck, for um, a lot of recreation. If I'm remembering correctly, I think the whole thing might have been voiceover and recreations.
1: Wow. How, like, uh, specific do they get with those recrees?
0: Oh, very. Like, um, like it's just slightly out of focus kind of stuff.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. All right. Now that I think about it, I'm not sure how they did that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, the important thing to remember about these paraphilias, uh, and this is... Um, we're not talking about the disorder part, right. but it, it's important to what language people use because for many, many years and still in many circles, um, things like homosexuality have even been considered you know, a, a perversion. So things have evolved over time, but depending on uh, who you are and where you are in the country even and what your political affiliation might be, mm-hmm. there still might be a lot of um, – damning language used for what some people consider uh, consider immoral
0: yeah and like you kind of hit it on the head Um, homosexuality was considered a disorder until the i think late 70s as far as the psychology community was was concerned and things change but it all basically boils down to morality so much so that it's like you know the the law the the fact that, that there have been laws against certain sexual acts and that those have changed and evolved over time, really kind of underscores this idea that you know society says this is not okay because we think it's weird, right? Um, or this is not okay because you're harming somebody else. Um, th- but it, but the fact that it changes or evolves really kind of shows that that in a lot of circumstances, especially when it comes to the kind of paraphilia where you're just involving yourself and yeah. you're, you're not harmed by it in any way, it's not causing distress, that there's really little reason whatsoever for anybody to be um, legislating or moralizing about that because it doesn't really have anything to do with anybody else.
1: Right. So they are for sure legal acts uh, or illegal acts, and thus, I guess, legal acts Mm -hmm. in terms of paraphilia, uh, there are problematic behaviors, too. Right. And that is, um, like you mentioned, I don't know if you mentioned masturbation.
0: I didn't, because I don't know that, (laughs) I mean, I'm sure there is a paraphilia where all you want to do is masturbate, but that seems more like, um, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like a paraphilia to me. I could be wrong, though.
1: Well, The whole idea of problematic, though, is like if you're so consumed by masturbation that you can't like you can't go to work or you leave work so often that you miss meetings. And, you know, basically, I think the point is what could be a harmless behavior can be problematic if it's all consuming and like affects your job or your home life or your social life.
0: Right, or there, or it's like causing you to be arrested, so you miss work the next day. There's this guy right. who, um, there's actually multiple people, but one man was arrested. Um, I guess making love to a car is how you would put it, which is mechanophilia. Mechanophilia, oh, interesting. Um, and there's another guy who claims to have made love to over a thousand cars in his lifetime, and. As far as I know, he's never been arrested and he seems to be totally great with the idea. He said that his peak sexual experience was Airwolf.
1: I was going to say with like a 57 Chevy.
0: <laughs> no, he has he has I, I don't know how else to put it. Made love to Herbie before Herbie the Beetle? Like the real thing or he had it recreated? As far as I know, the real thing. But Airwolf, Chuck Airwolf. He got with Airwolf. The the plane? The helicopter. Oh, the yeah.
1: helicopter. Okay, I couldn't remember.
0: Yeah, the Jan Michael Vincent helicopter from the TV show. But this guy, that guy, he seems to be totally fine with it because he, you know, submits to interviews and poses for photos that show up in the paper from time to time. But I don't think he's ever been arrested. So his would just be a paraphilia. The guy who got arrested, his would be a paraphilic disorder as far as the DSM-5 is concerned. But
1: it sounds to me like this guy just <clears> didn't get <throat> caught because you can't make love to Airwolf and Herbie legally. I guess you can't. You're right. Because those have got to be in like a museum or something, right?
0: He's dancing along the line unless he has a lot of money and he's like, hey, I'll pay you, you know, a thousand dollars to look the other way while I I get an hour with Airwolf.
1: Or he's the night watchman at the Hollywood Car and Air Space Museum.
0: But even that, that would be technically illegal or at least he could get fired for that. So that would be a paraphilic disorder then. This is all very interesting stuff. And it really is. But also, I, I want to point this out. Like, if you're starting to feel a little bit confused and it sounds like we're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall, welcome to the world of studying paraphilias from, in the field of psychology.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. Should we take a break? Yeah. All right, let's do that, and we'll come back and uh, never talk about Airwolf again. <laughs>
0: Okay, so we're back and we're more confused than ever. I thought we started out really well and yeah. <laughs> descended into genuine confusion.
1: That's right, which is very easy to do because, like we said from the get-go, the definitions change uh, so often and mm-hmm. what is acceptable or not acceptable and immoral um, or not immoral is all a matter of opinion. So it's kind of hard to dive into this stuff.
0: It really is. So um, there, that's why over time the definition of paraphilia has kind of expanded and contracted. Um, and the ones that tend to be called out in the DSM, which we'll get to in a minute, some of them make total sense, like pedophilia being in there. That's like something that, that psychology should take a, a keen interest in addressing. Um, other ones don't make any sense, like uh, transvestism. Um, cross-dressing where like if you are into wearing women's clothes and you're a man and that is how you achieve sexual arousal there's no problem with that and it shouldn't it shouldn't be psychologized, but then the field of psychology would say, well, whoa, 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 there are people who are into cross-dressing and they can achieve sexual arousal without it, but they find this very distressing. It's it's um, running up against society's expectations of what it means to be right. a man. They ha- are having trouble rectifying that. So we need to play that role too. So over time, as we were saying, paraphilias have been distinguished most recently, I think in 2013 with the DSM-5, between... Just a, an atypical sexual interest and an atypical sexual interest that causes distress in the person or involves non-consenting people.
1: That's right. Uh, but over the years, a lot of these terms have changed in their meaning uh, up until, geez, up until the 21st century. Mm-hmm, 2003. Pe- people are using words like uh, sodomite or sodomizer. Right. Even though it sounds like something from the Bible, which it is. For sure. Um and anti-sodomy laws were on the books until Lawrence v. Texas Supreme Court said that these laws are not constitutional. Um, that was an interesting case. There was a, a weapons disturbance reported at a private residence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Houston police were called. And they entered the apartment of John Lawrence and saw him with another adult man engaging in a private and consensual consensual.
0: Well, you just killed two (laughs) birds with one stone right there. That's
1: right. Consensual Sex Act. And they were arrested uh, for deviant sexual intercourse in violation of Texas statute Mm -hmm. that said basically two people of the same sex can't engage in uh, certain intimate sexual conduct. It was held up by the state uh, court of appeals, but then eventually overturned 6-3 by the U.S. Supreme Court.
0: And that was they were arrested in 2000. That's and the right. Supreme Court ruled uh, in 2003, and when they ruled in 2003 against Texas, they said, you, you 13 other states that have sodomy books uh, laws on the books, they're, they're null and void now. You just cannot, you cannot outlaw people's consensual sexual behavior in the privacy of their homes. You just can't do it. Well, yeah, but
1: the way they did it uh, was they said it violates their due process clause, the due process clause of the Constitution. Oh, how so? Well, I mean, if they're behind closed doors in private, engaging mm-hmm. in, a, in a practice, right? Um, then to arrest them for doing something is a violation of their due process. Like, you know what I mean?
0: I, I don't. To me, it's more just like it kind of follows in that great American tradition of if you're not hurting yourself or other people, what you do behind your own your own closed doors is fine with everybody else. We'll just look the other way.
1: Well, that is true, but they have to frame it, uh, I think, under the guise of the Constitution.
0: Yeah, but I, I just don't see how that, how that has to do with due process. Because isn't due process being like you, are, you're, you have the right to be defended by a competent attorney and in, in a court of law in front of a jury of your peers?
1: I don't know. I mean, Anthony Kennedy wrote uh, their right to liberty under the due process clause gives them the full right to engage in their conduct without intervention of the government.
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, I agree with Kennedy. I just sure. don't quite understand where he's coming from. No, I hear you. Maybe one of our wonderful listeners will write in and say, "I'm a constitutional law professor and here's what he meant." Maybe so. <laughs> so, it's a big deal like you were saying that we started calling, you know, paraphilias, paraphilias rather than sodomy laws because it it's it's basically psychology saying, "Thanks a lot for for this religion, we're going to take the reins from here and we're going to take it out of, you know, the realm of just religious moralization and put it into scientific study. And that was a big, a big transition. Um, we said earlier that that laws against certain sexual acts have been on the books for thousands of years now. Oh, yeah. Some of the earliest they found were from um, 1,000 BCE, 3,000 years ago in Assyria, uh, the Roman Republic, um, and that was just kind of how it stood. The Bible legislated against things like bestiality, uh, homosexuality, adultery. There was, There's just always been kind of moral codes and consequences that society said, if you break this moral code as far as sex is concerned, yeah. we're going to bury you up to your neck and stone you to death or something like that, right? Right. But then in the 20th century, I think slightly before the 20th century, as psychology started to develop, one of the first things it said is like, this is right up our alley. We're going to take this over. And in 1904, an Austrian scientist named uh, Friedrich Solomon Krauss uh, coined the term paraphilias, and it started to kind of transition into the scientific study.
1: Yeah, and there's another uh, guy named John Money, or Money, I want to say Money because if he's a sexologist named John Money...
0: That, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> uh,
1: and apparently he's, he's a really prominent researcher of mm-hmm. paraphilia, and he kind of brought it into the forefront as far as using that word.
0: Yeah, and I mean, just because, you know, Friedrich Solomon Krauss coined it in 1904 doesn't mean that psychology adopted it. And it wasn't until 1980 that the DSM started using paraphilia in place of sexual deviance. 1980. Wow. Yeah, so they've got a lot of catching up to do and what they're involved in right now is trying to figure out what the heck is going on and exactly where the boundaries are between what they're supposed to be studying and what they sh- what's none of their business really.
1: Yeah, and there's a couple of um, couple of psychological manuals that are often looked to and we talked a lot about on the show about the DSM, mm-hmm. the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. We haven't talked as much about the International statistical classification of diseases.
0: There's a good reason for that, Chuck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because neither one of us knew it existed. I didn't know it existed. And apparently here in the States, people default to the DSM a lot, which is why we, you know, know much more about it, obviously. Uh, The ICD is published by the the WHO, the World Health Organization. Um, But they use, uh, they don't offer a definition even, a blanket definition of paraphilia. So, the DSM is sort of the default, and it's it's important that it's uh, that it's used because the DSM is used. I mean, this can determine whether or not you get custody of your kids, or like there are real world real world ramifications for sure for um, having a paraphilia. And and I, do you say having a paraphilia or engaging in paraphilic acts? Probably both. Uh, but it's you know it's not just like we want to label people. It's like there are consequences, whether illegal or not illegal. You know, mm-hmm. someone could go into divorce court, and say, you know what, my husband um, can only achieve orgasm in a in a high heel stiletto heel, and a judge might think that's perverse and deny custody.
0: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a big deal because if you you think about it, like psychology isn't getting together and saying we're going to create this book that outlines what's normal and acceptable for human beings and you guys go use it to throw somebody in jail. That's not the point. They're doing it to try to help people who need help, right? That's right. But – That doesn't mean that other people aren't coming along and figuring out how to use that to put other people in jail or gain custody of their children. I mean, there's really no faster way to undermine someone's credibility or just cast aspersions on them. Um, Is it aspersions or dispersions? Dispersions, I think cast dispersions on them than to frame them as a sex pervert in court when you're talking about custody of children, right? That's it. So psychology has figured out or psychiatry has figured out in the last few years, like it just doesn't operate in a vacuum. And it right. has to really pay attention to what it publishes in this Bible of normalcy yeah. that is the DSM. And they're getting better at it, but they still have a, a long ways to go. But at least they're awake to this idea that, no, 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 the stuff we say is normal, we have to, we have to, we have to word it just so. Because if we do it wrong, people are going to go to prison for a very long time. Yeah, especially when who, who they might use might not should be in prison necessarily. Yeah,
1: especially when they use words like unusual and bizarre mm-hmm. in official definitions because that's so subjective. Um, and again, it's, it's not a legal manual, so it's, it's very tricky territory. Right. But the words are really, really important.
0: So they started out, they were, um, I think in the first DSM, paraphilia was called sexual deviance and the definition was just forget about it. And then it evolved, it got better from there, uh, until the dsm three, where they said that a paraphilia, um, said that bizarre imagery or acts were necessary for sexual excitement, and that these imagery and acts were persistent involuntary, repetitive, and involved. And this is this is a big deal because what, what's just gone is um, kind of the uh, the persistence or the intensity of it. And then now they're kind of getting into the meat of what makes a paraph- paraphilia. It involves a preference for the use of a non-human object, mm-hmm. repeti- repetitive sexual activity with humans involving real or simulated suffering or humiliation. S&M. Or repetitive sexual activity with non consenting partners.
1: Subway creeps.
0: Right. Or um, you know, uh pedophiles sure. or um fraud yeah, fraudulently, subway creeps. So do you you've you've they they really kinda hit it on the head, I think, with the DSM three R, if you ask me. Like they said, here's some things that are, you know we consider atypical and that some and that here's how they can be problematic.
1: Yeah, I think calling it unusual and bizarre mm-hmm. was sort of the problem with ndsm3. Right. Um and is that not in 4 and 5? So, four definitely had a different definition. Are we still talking
0: about Led Zeppelin albums? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That one said, Zoso, um, (laughs) it said, recurrent, intense, sexually arousing fantasies, sexual urges, or behaviors generally involving non-human objects, the suffering or humiliation of oneself or one's partner. And so, there's there's a real preoccupation with BDSM among psychiatrists. Don't ever let a psychiatrist tell you otherwise because they're lying to your face. (laughs) And then the third one is children or other non-consenting persons that occur over a period of at least six months. So they dropped
1: unusual and bizarre then.
0: They did, which rightfully so. They also called out children specifically, I think, um, kind of to add a little bit of legality to the whole thing and to kind of say, like, this is a separate special case. You know, this is beyond just non-consenting. And then they added that it has to persist for at least 6 months. Yeah, that's interesting. Because up to 6 months is just a bad a bad streak you're on. I guess so. Um I did everywhere I looked though in
1: other places too outside the DSM I did see where these um uh predilections mm-hmm. Is that the right word? Sure. are basically permanent. So it's not like it changes. So if you got a thing for the high heel shoe, mm-hmm. uh you're probably always going to have a thing for the high heel shoe.
0: And in the same way, if you have a thing for children, you're probably always going to have a thing for children, which is a a big problem. And I was joking, by the way, that there's a, you know, anything up to six months is just a bad streak, especially when you're involved with, if you have a paraphilia that involves a non-consenting person.
1: Yeah, but I wonder why they said that for six months. I mean, just to, I don't know, it seems like it, it may maybe should just be for any amount of time.
0: Yeah, I think I think they are. I think they're kind of moving into the right direction. Where so in the DSM five, it's unclear whether the DSM five actually changed the definition or not. This article says that it stayed the same, but what they did was they separated them out and said, "Okay, look, we recognize that there are, there are atypical sexual um, proclivities." that don't harm anybody. They're just not typical, you know? Like, not everybody um, has a thing for women's high-heeled shoe or the tailpipe of Airwolf or something, you know? <laughs> like, not everyone does. But as long as you're not harming anybody and it's not having an inf- a, a negative effect on your life and you're not distressed by it, if you're out there living your best life, you know wearing women's high heel shoes around your house and just loving every minute of it, like, go with God. That's great. You know, there's, that's fine. That's, the, that's, that's different. We're just going to call it a paraphilia. A Paraphilic disorder is where it does cause distress or it does involve somebody else who doesn't want to be involved. And now, now this is what we should be paying attention to. And then so people say, okay, that's great psychology. You're going in the right direction here. But just get paraphilias out of there entirely. Like, just just don't even include those because what they warn against is the fact that it's in this DSM, this Bible of normalcy. Right. The very fact that it's in there suggests that there's something weird about it and abnormal about it. Psychi- psychiatry said as much by including it. Yeah, that and it's so, like a
1: mental disorder of some kind.
0: Right. And so even if you don't fit the criteria for a disorder diagnosis, a paraphilic disorder, If you, say, wear women's shoes around, even if you're enjoying it, you still are in the, the, the Bible of normalcy right. called out as a weirdo, and then that kind of thing can be used against you in like a, a custody hearing when it really shouldn't be. You're probably not going to be wearing your high heels in front of your kids because you're probably involved in sexy time. And if you are doing that in front of your kids, you've got a whole other disorder that needs to be addressed that really has little to nothing to do with high heels. That's Right. So this is where, this is the hornet's nest that is currently paraphilias and the DSM and psychiatry in general.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Should we take another break? Sure, man. All right, let's take a break, and we're going to talk about why humans have paraphilias to begin with. Right after this. (laughs) All right, so we're talking a lot about a lot of interesting things. Some people might think this is pretty out there, that someone would make love to a car.
0: Sure, maybe, but I'll bet if you really got to know your neighbor, you'd be pretty surprised.
1: Yeah, who was it that sang that song, No One Knows What Goes On Behind Closed Doors?
0: Uh, I think you're thinking of that song about um, (laughs) nobody knows what it's like to be the bad man behind blue (laughs) eyes, that one. That's the who. That's the World Health Organization. That's John Fogarty. <laughs> what? I'm pretty sure that's John Fogarty. Behind Blue Eyes? I'll give you Bob Seger <laughs> as a maybe. It's The Who. It's All on right. Quadropenia.
1: Okay. All right, so... <laughs> John Fogarty.
0: What song were you
1: talking about? What Fogarty song did you mean? Oh, I didn't mean... It. <laughs> I'm so mad at you right now. So... Uh, where, I, where was I even? Okay, here's the deal. Why do we have paraphilias? You mm-hmm. hear these things. It might sound very unusual to you, but there are still people that, you know, they didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to try. I'm just going to try making love to a car for kicks. Mm. Like this is something that is in someone's brain. Um, some might argue in their heart, depending on how you feel about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's not some some choice that someone is making just to be different uh, they found that it's uh, probably genetic and probably caused by environmental factors, some mixture of both. Uh, they can't point to some gene and say, hey, here's the gene that causes an obsession right. with an object. But um, And they can't say for sure what behaviors like environmental factors and behaviors at home might lead to it. Right. Or how much, you know, I know for years and still like Freudian psychologists are – Bound and determined to say that you know if your mom spanked you, then you're gonna want to be spanked sexually later in life.
0: Right, by a, a woman you hired who looks just like your mom.
1: Right, but that is very uh, reductive, and uh, although that you know things that happen in your childhood may play out later on, you can't always say exactly how.
0: Yeah. So you might ask, well, then what does psychology? What how, what, what what can psychology explain? Nothing. Basically, nothing about paraphilias is is understood, how they develop. And there's so many competing voices, like you said. Not really one of them has been proven wrong. They've all kind of got their support and their detractors and their different schools of thought, which is a really—it's a head-scratcher in this day and age, in nearly 2020, that we have virtually no idea how paraphilias form. Like, Like you said, are they genetic? Who knows? Maybe, maybe we will find a gene one day, but what about, what about nurture? I mean, like we all develop sexually at a certain rate and at a certain time and under certain circumstances. So if, you know, you happen to get a a late spanking right around the time that you're, you're becoming uh, pubescent maybe you will right. kind of get a little turned on by spanking. Or if you and work then, at a shoe store, you know? Right, right, sure, yeah. Or, um, you know, if you if you were, grew, were raised in a very sexually repressive environment, well, maybe that sexuality has to come out somewhere and it's going to come out on to mom's shoes or something like that. You know, like it's going to find a way just like, you know, the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park did, so will budding sexuality in a young kid. It's going to find its its way out and then maybe that's where paraphilias come from. They really have no idea, but they have done studies that that actually don't clear anything up at all. Yeah, the
1: studies are problematic for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is because a lot of times their studies conducted on criminal behaviors. Yeah, almost all of it is. Because they're the ones that are in jail and they're the ones easiest to study. And it's hard to get uh, uh, someone uh, that's not a criminal, just in regular society, to step forward and take a survey and be super honest about something that may be their deepest, darkest secret. Sure. So it's really hard and problematic to to study. And um, they have found a few things as far as the genetic component goes. Uh, there was one study... Of five families uh, where they had confirmed uh, pedophiles, and they found a lot of evidence that pedophilia uh, can be multi-generational in some families, Mm -hmm. and then across single generations and others, like um, three brothers are all pedophiles in a single family.
0: And so you would say, well, uh, you know, obviously there's a genetic basis, but a behaviorist would say, well, what? Maybe that, you know, it spans multiple generations because it was a learned behavior. Right. And it was carried on in that way. So it's not, it doesn't clear up anything whatsoever. Uh,
1: They usually find paraphilias between uh, men uh, ages of 15 and 25, although it can vary wildly, of course. Sure. And there are other reasons that that people put forward that maybe they've generally found them in men and not women. Um, How we study things with a male slant could be one. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fact that men may be more apt to act out, uh, maybe in a violent way, if that's their paraphilia, right? Or brazen enough to get on the subway and do something like that.
0: It's also way more socially acceptable for, say, an exhibitionist woman to get into film and be able to to fulfill her exhibitionism that way. Right. Whereas we don't usually film naked men very often, so the exhibitionist man needs to just kind of walk around town, Donald Ducking it. <laughs> Porky pigging it, that's what I mean.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm sure that the Disney Corporation is happy with either one of those <laughs> yeah. definitions.
0: Yeah. Or, yeah, it was Warner Brothers and Disney. They're both mad at us now. Yeah, uh, They did
1: find in that same study some comorbidities with low intelligence and, interestingly, deafness and blindness.
0: That is interesting.
1: And then some other studies have found some predominance in uh, left-handed people.
0: Yeah. So again, none of that means anything at this point. It's no. just, it's just here's a data point I turned up right oh, from five families. Up. It's right. so
1: you know, it's it's not very good study,
0: right? That sexologist John Money, he um, <laughs> he wrote in the '80s. He wrote a book called Love Maps, and I think 1986. That was really uh, authoritative on um, paraphilias, and his thing was that you know it's it's learned behavior that comes at a, a certain point and our love map, which combines like love and lust and in, in normal ways gets vandalized in some way from some traumatic experience uh-huh. or, or it could also be in some fun experience but um, the introduction of this this additional data point in the development of this love map um, creates a a paraphilia that has to be, um, I guess, corrected through something like cognitive behavioral therapy. Sometimes drugs are used, SSRIs are used sometimes, um, and then in certain cases, they'll use things like um, chemical castration, actually.
1: Yeah, we talked about that in a few episodes, I feel like.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't remember which ones.
1: Well, definitely the one with uh, with what's his name, the Enigma machine Alan Turing with Alan Turing because he was chemically castrated.
0: Did we do an episode on the Enigma machine?
1: No, but we talked about him and I believe uh, or was that just the TV show with the Turing test with captchas? I don't remember. It's all such a fog right now. It really is. Um, Here's something. If you ever hear someone in conversation say, you know, if you were sexually abused as a child, then statistically you're going to grow up and do that to someone else. Mm -hmm. Not true. I saw both. Oh, really? I saw that it is true. I saw that that was largely refuted now.
0: Yeah, I I saw something on, I found a site called smart.gov. It sounds made up, but (laughs) it seems real. But it was about paraphilias from a um, criminal justice point of view. And it said outright that uh, it's not a guarantee in any way, shape, or form, but that people who um, sexually abuse children uh, or are sexually abused as children are more likely to sexually abuse children than people who weren't sexually abused as children. How interesting. Yeah, which is, I mean, that brings up a really important point here. Um, There's a big distinction between sexually abusing a child, Mm -hmm. raping a child, and being a pedophile. They're not necessarily one and the same.
1: Well, what, in that uh, a pedophile can be a pedophile and not act upon that instinct?
0: That's one version another version is if you're a child rapist, you might not really have much of a, a desire for children you just had a desire to rape somebody and right. that child happened to be handy at the time right okay. so there is there is in two different ways at least there's a distinction between pedophilia and child rape and this is where that whole legality thing kind of comes in Oh
1: right and that uh, paraphilia is not a legal defense so if you commit a sex crime, you can't go to court and say, I plead a paraphil- paraphiliac?
0: Yeah, which is kind of surprising because if you kill somebody and you go and say, I, um, I, uh, I have been diagnosed with schizophrenia, they're probably not going to um, give you the death sentence. Where if you are a, if you're diagnosed with a paraphilic disorder, they're going to totally set that aside. Right, right in in considering, you know, how you should be punished. What's weird, though, Chuck, is since 1990, the actual opposite has been allowed to develop, too, where if they convict you of something as a sexual... a violent... a sexual sexually violent predator, SVP, I believe is what it's called. Uh-huh. Senior vice president. Right. They can keep you in jail longer. They won't keep you in jail, but they'll say, um, this person... It shows that they have signs of being like a, a they they have a paraphilia toward child molestation uh, they uh, toward um, pedophilia um, so they've served their sentence for attacking this child but now under the law we can actually commit them to uh, um, like a, a mental asylum right a hospital indefinitely to keep them from harming somebody else. So that's that's one way that that the the DSM can be used to keep people in in jail for crimes they haven't even committed. This is like the prevention of future crime, Right. which, which as far as I know is completely um, completely contravenes the spirit of the law in the United States, right?
1: Yeah, I mean that's some minority report stuff.
0: Right but that's what they've been doing using the DSM and for a little while there they were able to do it because the DSM had the word or in right. the wrong place that allow that basically said you you qualify as the definition of somebody with a paraphilic disorder if you've commi- committed a criminal act that has something to do with a paraphilia um, now, it's, it, that's part of the criteria. It's not its own criteria. But for a while, it allowed these laws to basically say, yep, this person committed this criminal act. By definition, they have a, a paraphilic disorder. And paraf- people with paraphilic disorders have basically a, a chronic ongoing um, disorder. illness yeah. disorder that, that we need to keep them out of society indefinitely for
1: yeah, I mean, I know that you have seen the uh, great, great documentary, Capturing the Freedmen's, mm-hmm. from 2003. And, boy, talk about a documentary to really take you on a roller coaster of how you feel about things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, I mean, I've only seen it the one time way back when, but it just rocked my world. Yeah. As far as letting you come to your own conclusions, uh, which I think the best documentaries do, you know.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't seen it in a while either, but I remember feeling the exact same way about it.
1: Yeah, really interesting stuff. Yep. Uh, what else do we have in here? I mean, we talked about treating it with cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, yeah. There's another line of treatment if you uh, – I mean, I guess it's still called treatment, but in that they're not trying to say, don't do this, but, hey, maybe we can take something that you clearly want to do that's problematic in your life and just um, – construct your life in a way so it's not so problematic right. and you can still do that and it's not causing you or anyone else any harm and make it a positive part of your sexual identity.
0: Yeah, I would guess, like, for example, something like cross-dressing. I think it's a really good example of how somebody might feel distress about, um, about having that paraphilia right. where they could really benefit from cognitive behavioral therapy with a, a therapist who basically said, hey, you know, is this is your is your wife okay with this yeah like or, or what's the problem here is it really because you're disappointing your parents maybe that is it well right. both of your parents are dead they aren't paying attention anymore right. <laughs> if you really are enjoying yourself like maybe just go with it it doesn't matter what society says that is a that would be a really beneficial um, situation for somebody who is experiencing some, some level of distress where it just came from the fact that they had an atypical sexual proclivity and they were distressed by the fact that it, it contravened or it was, um, in in contradiction with society's norms or expectations. And that was it. That was the whole problem.
1: Right. Or if there's a real world situation, like it's butting up against your job or a social relationship, Maybe construct it in a way where it doesn't do those things, Mm -hmm. and then it's just, you know, it's all good.
0: Yeah, maybe save the enemas for after work. (laughs) Like, don't leave work to go get an enema. Unless your job is giving enemas. (laughs) Then you're in hog heaven. (laughs) I guess so. That one, by the way, is called, let me see if I can find it real quick.
1: What, do you have a master list on your phone there?
0: No, I just wrote that one down. Oh, yeah, right here. Uh, Clismophilia. Really? Mm-hmm, that, is a, uh, that is a paraphilia regarding receiving enemas, as far as I can tell.
1: So you would receive an enema in order to achieve completion.
0: <laughs> That's right. Interesting. Yeah.
1: I feel like there's probably nothing that isn't uh, defined
0: I think it's or one of those things, thing. you know, what's that, was it Rule 42 where um, if, if it exists, there's interne- there's porn about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, the internet is, is, in a good way, has brought these people together because of many, many people for many, many years felt very alone mm-hmm. uh, in this stuff. And, um, and we should also shout out uh, kind of loose friend of the show, Kevin Allison from uh, the comedy troupe of the state on mtv many years ago Mm -hmm. he has a great podcast called risk uh all caps r-i-s-k exclamation point Uh uh-huh yeah and risk doesn't necessarily deal with this it deals with um it's just really good people telling kind of risky stories about their life that they normally wouldn't tell in a room full of people Mm -hmm. um but kevin has also championed uh champion fetishes and the people and paraphiliacs basically uh consenting paraphiliacs uh, who don't have a disorder and kind of helping them to be right with themselves and to be more accepting of others. Uh, it's re- really kind of interesting and cool.
0: Yeah, I think that's the way it should be. If you, like if somebody has a kink that that you don't jibe with, but that doesn't have anything to do with you, just remember it doesn't have anything to do with you, and don't judge them.
1: Yeah, Kevin's a really, really good dude.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Way to go, Kevin. You're doing God's work. <laughs> So, uh, oh, by the way, it's rule 44. Lowell corrected me. Thanks, Lowell. What did you say? Rule 42? Yeah, I think I said 42. I don't know. 42, 44, whatever it takes. I was thinking of the hitman, Agent 42. Lowell's like, <laughs> <and> that's 46. <laughs> right? <laughs> so uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. All right. Well, look for some more more uh, specialized episodes on paraphilias coming down the pike. But for now, that's paraphilia. If you want to know more about paraphilia... <laughs> The internet is wide open for you. That's right. Since I said that, it's time for listener mail.
1: The governor is off. The internet is <laughs> is ready to be goosed. Yes. Goosed? I meant that as like an engine revving thing. Not. Never mind. <laughs> I know what you meant. Yeah. This is a short one. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, remember we had that listener mail from um, between Jeremy and Kate? Yeah, yeah. From in the MSG episode about the mm-hmm. Chicago thing? Yep. So we have Maggie chiming in now. All these people are so kind. I love it. This is great. Uh, Your listener mail conversation between Jeremy and Kate from Thursday's MSG episode had me smiling. And after the mail from Veronica, I couldn't help but continue this trend. So to Veronica, I am also a Stuff You Should Know listener and also a teacher in Chicago. And I was also at that show. Uh, Being a first-year teacher is extremely challenging in so many different ways. So please be sure to make... Uh, to take time to take care of yourself and stay positive. I promise it gets easier. Good luck with a new job and welcome to Chicago from
0: Maggie. Beautiful. That was so nice, Maggie. Nice people. We're basically going to turn listener mail into a, um, what was that, what's that one section like I saw you somewhere?
1: Oh, like uh, were you the guy on the train who helped, <laughs> yeah. me, helped me through the door? You were exactly. so hot, I want to yeah. meet you.
0: <laughs> and bring your puppy to our date. That's right. Uh, yes. Well, regardless, I think that was very sweet. Who was that from? Maggie. Maggie, that was a really cool email. And congratulations to you also for being a teacher. You too are doing God's work. That's Agreed. my new thing I'm going to say. Maybe God's that'll work. be a t-shirt. <laughs> I do God's work. I listen to stuff you should know. I love it okay well if you want to get in touch with us, like maggie did or if you want to get in touch with another listener apparently you can go on to stuffyoushouldknow.com and follow our social links you can also send us an email to stuffpodcasts at iheartradio.com
1: stuff you should know is a production of iHeartRadio's how stuff works for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows